read firstly from the epistle to the Philippians, chapter 2. In this Bible it's page 1418, but I'll read the scripture to you. In verse 5 it says, For let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, subsisting in the form of God, did not esteem it an object of repine to be on an equality with God, but emptied himself, taking a bondman's form, taking his place in the likeness of men, and having been found in figure as a man, humbled himself, becoming obedient even unto death, and that the death of the cross. Wherefore also God highly exalted him, and granted him a name, that which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of heavenly and earthly and infernal beings, and that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to God the Father's glory. And just the verse in the Old Testament, in the book of Ruth, at the end of the first chapter, which is page 351, verse 19, partway through, and it came to pass when they came to Bethlehem, that all the city was moved about them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? And she said to them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and Jehovah has brought me home again empty. The Bible often teaches us things by comparison. It compares one thing to another to draw a contrast. If you look at the Psalms, the first Psalm speaks about the righteous and about the wicked and draws a contrast between them. And I'd like to contrast very simply in the Gospel this evening the difference between the Lord Jesus, who I read about in the first scripture, and us. I read about a lady called Naomi, but you know, she could be representative of any one of us here tonight. And the contrast I'm thinking of is really about the matter of whether we're, we're full or whether we're empty. See, Naomi said here, didn't she? I went out full and Jehovah has brought me home again empty. And yet the Lord Jesus that I read of, he, in a sense, he went out empty. He emptied himself. That's what the scripture said. Um, but he went back full, full of praise and full of glory. But in a sense, what, what really matters is, you know, what, what am I full or what am I empty of? If we look at the Bible, <clears throat> in the very first chapter, it tells us how the heavens and the earth were created. And it says that the, the earth was empty. In a sense, the earth was a blank canvas, and the first chapter tells us how God created the earth. It speaks about the first day, the division between the light and the darkness, and between the heavens and the earth, and between the sea and the dry land. And it says of everything that God did that it was good. You know, God made the earth good, and he filled it with good things. Filled it with good things. And then when we get to the sixth day, 
God created man. And God said of man, and that includes men and women, it was very good. And God, what did God say to man? Multiply and fill the earth. But when we get to the sixth chapter of Genesis, which isn't very far into the Bible, you know, the Bible can seem to be a very long book, can't it? But we get to the sixth chapter, and we're told that the earth was full of violence. And that was thousands and thousands of years ago. And I don't think the earth is much different today. I don't know what you think about the earth, but if you were a a Martian coming to earth, what would your impression of the earth be? Perhaps it would be that it's filled with violence. I only have to read the newspaper in the morning or perhaps you listen to the news, whatever. Violence. Violence on the streets of our country, violence in Ukraine, violence in many places. And why was there that change between an earth that was perfect and an earth that so quickly was full of violence? It says of of mankind that the thoughts and intents of his heart only evil continually. How was it that what God created so perfectly only a few chapters before has changed? It's because sin came into the world. And sin spoils everything. Sin might seem to be an old-fashioned word, but it speaks about something that is offensive to God. It might be something that I, I do to someone else. I might be unkind to someone. I might tell a lie to someone. I might steal something from someone. And that, in a sense, is, is, is an offence against that person. But more importantly, <coughs> the Bible tells me that it's a sin that God takes account of. God takes account of everything that I do. And God takes account of everything that you do. And God takes account of sin. And sin spoils everything. You know, when we sin, it spoils the relationship I have with someone. You know, if if I'm unkind to my wife or to my my children, then it spoils the relationship that I have with them. And it's the same with our relationship with God. If we sin, it spoils the relationship that we have with God. And God wants us to be in a happy, loving relationship with him. And that's why the gospel is preached, because sin has come into this world and it's not just that sins come into the world but I'm a sinner and the Bible says that you're a sinner too and that has spoilt things the Bible also says that the wages of sin is death and and we know that too we know that there are very few certainties in life but we know that one certainty is that at some point and we don't know when each one of us will die The Bible also says it is appointed to men once to die and after death, judgment. I spoke about God taking account of sin. Well, God takes account of sin and after we die, there will be a reckoning. A reckoning. Unless (coughs) we know what it is to have our sins forgiven. And that's why I'm here to preach the gospel because I am a sinner, but I'm a sinner saved by grace. How can I say that? It's because I recognise I'm a sinner and I've repented of my sins and I've put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. That's why I read of him in Philippians, because he was different. 
What does it say of the Lord Jesus? It says that he was full of grace and truth. It says of him elsewhere that he was full of the Holy Spirit. It says that he was full of tender compassions and pitiful. You know, the Lord Jesus cares about you and he cares about me. He cares about everyone. That scripture read in Philippians might seem to be a bit complicated. But what that scripture is telling us is the wonderful way in which the Lord Jesus came into this world. That It tells us that he was God in his own person. And yet, he came into this world to save sinners like you and me from our sins. It says that he was God, and yet he didn't hold on to the, the glories and the power that he had as God. But it wasn't that he ceased to be God when he came here on earth. But he set aside some of the, the powers that, that he had. And he was found as a man. You see, God, without being complicated, God can't die. God is eternal. God is omniscient. God knows everything. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. But if God was to save you and me from our sins, it required a, a sacrifice, a payment. The sins that you and I have committed need to be paid for. And we can't pay the price of our sins because we're sinners and we can't offer anything that's acceptable to God. But Jesus came here to make a sacrifice that was acceptable to God. And it might seem difficult for us to understand, but the Bible tells us that when Jesus was here, he lived a perfect life. Never said anything that was wrong, never did anything that was wrong, never thought anything that was wrong. And yet, despite a perfect life, he was taken and he was nailed to a cross, just like it said there where I read in Philippians. So God had to become man in order to pay the price of our sins. And what this scripture here is telling us, that Jesus emptied himself, taking a bondman's form, taking his place in the likeness of men, having been found in figure as a man, humbled himself, becoming obedient even unto death, and that the death of the cross. We know the cross, the crucifixion is a horrific a horrific death, a death of pain, a death of suffering. And what this scripture tells me is the wonderful love that marked the Lord Jesus, that it was love for you and love for me that brought him here to suffer and to die. He didn't need to. He didn't need to come into this world. He didn't need to go the way that he went, but he humbled himself. It's hard for us to imagine. You know, we, we can try and imagine... You know, someone that's, that's royalty, perhaps, you know, living rough on the streets, you know, humbling themselves in that way. But the way in which the Lord Jesus humbled himself was, was beyond anything that we can comprehend. God being found here in figure as a man, not only coming here as a man, but then suffering the most painful and the most ignominious death that anyone could suffer. And why did he do that? As I said, he did it so that he might break the power of death. Because as it says here, 
Wherefore also God highly exalted him and granted him a name that which is above every name. Yes, Jesus died and Jesus' body was put in the tomb, but the Bible tells us that on the third day he rose from among the dead. And that's why my faith and trust is in the Lord Jesus, because I don't know anyone else that has risen from among the dead. There are other leaders of faith in this world, you know, whether it's Allah or whether it's Buddha or whoever these other people are, but they're dead. The Lord Jesus is alive. The Bible tells us of all the people that he appeared to after he rose from among the dead. It's remarkable how, how, how the resurrection of the Lord Jesus is attested to. And God raised him and God exalted him, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. It says of heavenly, that means things like angels that are in the heaven. Of earthly, that's people like me and like you. And infernal, that means things that are under the earth. The Lord Jesus has dominion over everything. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to God the Father's glory. We're to confess him as Lord. That means that we're to acknowledge that he has control, absolute control over our lives, over my life. So as I say, the scripture says, you might say, well, how, how can I be saved? How can I be saved from my sins? The Bible says repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. As the hymn that we sang says, simply trust him. That is all we need to trust the Lord Jesus. Not just believe that the Bible is true, we, we do need to believe that, but we need to believe that what it tells us is true for me. We need to make it personal. Like David could say, the Lord is my shepherd. Didn't just say the Lord is the shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd. We need to know the Lord Jesus for ourselves. You see, so Naomi, you may not know the story of Ruth and Naomi, but you might wonder why Naomi sounds so, so sad when she says what she says here in, in Ruth, but she would, she'd been married, she'd had two sons, and she'd gone out from Bethlehem to a land called Moab, and her sons had, mar had married, and everything seems to be going well. And perhaps everything seems to be going well for you, or perhaps it's gone well in the past. She said, I went out full. It seemed everything was going well. And then her husband died. And then one of her sons died. And then the other son died. And then it seemed she had nothing left. And she came back to Bethlehem, to the, the place that she'd left with just one of her daughter-in-laws called Ruth. And it's, it's a lovely story to read the story of Ruth. And you'll find out from reading it that, yes, Ruth sounded, or Naomi sounded, very sad. I went out full, and Jehovah has brought me home again, empty. But the important thing was, I think, that she recognised that two things. One was that Jehovah was working in her life. And perhaps you haven't realised yet that Jehovah is working, that God, the Lord Jesus, is working in your life. And secondly, that he's working to bring you home. Jehovah... has brought me home again, empty. If we finish reading 
the few chapters that there are, we find she's really blessed, that God is going to bless Naomi, <coughs> almost indirectly through Ruth. But I was very struck just by reading you know, the very last paragraphs of Ruth, that you know, it says there that, for example, that blessed be Jehovah, who hath not left thee this day without one that has the right of redemption, May his name be famous in Israel, and he shall be, be to thee a restorer of life and a nourisher of thine old age, for thy daughter-in-law who loves thee, who is better than thee than seven sons, has borne him. It's God was going to bless Naomi. And perhaps God, you have a sense of things going wrong in your life, and perhaps God is speaking to you through that because he wants you to come into blessing. You know, I remember an acquaintance of mine was a solicitor, and he used to represent people, you know, people that were convicted of a crime. He would re represent them in court, and he spoke of a time he went into Brixton prison. Ken knows about going into prisons. I've never been into a prison. But anyway, he went into a prison to see the, uh, the person that he was going to defend, and in the course of his conversation, he mentioned that he was a Christian, and this, this man who he was speaking to said, well, you know, he said, when I, was, when I was younger, my mother and my grandmother used to speak to me about Christian things, and I did go to church a few times, but he said, I never had time, never had time to think about Christian things, but he said, now I've got a lot of time on my hands. Perhaps, you know, that was why he was in prison. He no longer was occupied with the things that were leading him astray, but it was a time for God to speak to him. You might have heard of the parable of the prodigal son. He was a, he was a young man that had everything going for him. He had a wealthy father, but he thought he could do things better himself. And he said to his father, give me, you know, give me my portion of my inheritance and let me get on with things. And he too went out full, didn't he? He went out full of goods, and it says he dissipated Everything he had, he, he just dissipated in the way that he lived until he was empty. He was hungry. He was feeding pigs and he wanted to eat the pig food. He was so hungry. And that made him realise that he thought, even the servants that work in my father's house have bread to eat. What am I doing here in a foreign country? Even thinking about eating pig food when I could be home. And so he went home, just like Naomi. He went home and he found blessing. He thought all he was fit to do was to be a servant in his father's house. But his father had greater thoughts for him. You know, God, I don't know what you think about yourself. Perhaps you're full of, you, you might be full of pride about yourself, pleased about the way that you are and the things that you can do. I can be like that, proud, arrogant, think a lot of myself. But then I, I look at the Lord Jesus and I see one who <coughs> was not proud. He humbled himself, he emptied himself, he came down into this world and he loved me and he died for me and he saved me. And he can save you too. 
If you feel that you're empty, there was a woman in John chapter 4. Perhaps, I think, you know, she was trying to fill her life. Her life was empty, but she was trying to fill it, fill it with temporary joys. The Lord said to her, didn't he? That she'd had six husbands, and the man that she was living with wasn't a husband. She was trying to fill her life with things that would give her temporary pleasure, but the Lord made her realise that her life was empty. Made her realise that she was thirsty. But he said, you might be thirsty, he said, but I've got something that's really good. I've got living water for you. He said, if you drink the water that I give you, you'll never thirst forever. You know, if you drink the water of the well, you should come out to a well to draw water like we all have to. We have to drink every day, otherwise we'd die, wouldn't we? And the Lord used that picture to say, well, you need water for natural life, but you need spiritual water for spiritual life. We all have a spiritual side to us. That's what the gospel appeals to us about, that we need the living water that only Jesus has. And we need to come to him. He's the one we have to have a personal transaction with him. It's not enough just to come to church. That doesn't make you a Christian. Knowing the Bible, being able to quote the scriptures doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is to have your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. To have absolute confidence, absolute certainty that your life is safe in his hands. That's why he came here to to make himself known, to make known God's heart and to bless us. So Naomi felt that she was empty but God was going to fill her with blessing. And God would like to bless each one of us here tonight. If you're feeling a hope, you know, the Lord Jesus spoke about filling us. He said, I've come that you might have joy and that your joy might be full. See, when, when Jesus does things, he does them properly. I don't know about you, sometimes I do things and I don't finish them off properly. You know, Jesus always does things properly. He does them completely. He does them fully. They're perfect. We're imperfect. We're human. We say, it's a bit of a saying, isn't it? Well, it's another contrast between us. We're imperfect. Jesus is perfect. But the precious thing is that he loves me, he loves you, and he wants to save you. And you can be saved if you come in repentance. Repentance means not only acknowledging that I'm a sinner and what I'm doing is wrong, but turning my back on it, turning my back on it, looking to Jesus. And then faith. And faith means trusting him, taking him at his word. The Bible is full of promises that we can lay hold of by faith. You know, we can do do things, we can lay hold, we can believe the Lord Jesus. There's a a well-known verse in John, John's Gospel that says, For God so loved the world, That means he loved the people in the world like you and like me, that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes on him might not perish but have everlasting life. So I finish perhaps as I started. Are you full? Are you empty? What are you full of? What are you empty of? Do you want to be filled with the blessings that Jesus would have for you? If you would, In that sense, it's not difficult. 
You just need to, you don't need to do anything publicly. You can just pray where you are in your seat and ask Jesus to come in to your life, to forgive you your sins, to give you a hope for the future. And the precious thing is that once Jesus has come into your life, he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you, he'll see you all the way home. May you put your faith and trust in him, for his name's sake. Amen. Amen.